Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, June 26, 2022. Today's sermon is from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 1 all the way over to verse 6 today. Though it is part of chapter 8, which we'll finish next week. Um, But as you're turning there, I just want to make a a couple other announcements or just bring you up to date a little bit. Gil has been been texting with me and with the elders a while, and so I just want to let you know that that they got to Turkey all right. I know that uh, Chad and uh, Pollux, and then I guess we got couple McNeils in here missing the McNeil family and of course Anita Ronaldo got to go so please this next week you know every day when you pray pray for that team that they will be a blessing to those people and that, that God will work in in their lives and, and not just their lives but in our life our lives here as a church um, another little update Abigail is a little homesick but she's doing really good and Olivia the same I don't I think Olivia's less homesick, maybe, I don't know, but she's doing really good with Abby. They're there in, in Kansas City. They've had their first week of orientation, and they've been going out and doing, doing evangelism and, and talking to people and getting up every morning and working out and just doing certain things. It's been really good so far. So keep praying for Olivia, Olivia and Abby um, these next few weeks as well. Another just a little update. This past week, I was out of town. What a privilege it was to go and spend five days with Josiah, my son, Josiah. Has anybody ever heard of world changers? Just curious. They send young people to a, all over the United States. They put them in groups of, say, this past week was 150 kids from 7th grade to 12th grade. Put them in groups, and they go out and they do a community project. So they might work on your house, or they may build your roof, or they may redo it, put a ramp up, or whatever needs to be done, work with the city. Well, after that, they come in for the afternoon, evening, and they hang out together, and they play together, and they eat together, and then for the nighttime, they have worship, and they have singing, and they have preaching. And so Josiah was the preacher every night last week. And so it was just a blessing um, to be able to um, be with him and to see what's going on. And God really blessed me as well, I think. A lot of things, good things that God worked in my heart um, this week. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys. And now Josiah has headed back to Kansas City where Abigail and Olivia are. And so I think they had supper last night. Um, One more quick announcement. We didn't put this on the prayer list, but um, Trisha's brother, um, as you know, Trish has been with us for a couple, almost a couple months now. But her brother had a stroke this week. slight stroke but he is in the hospital they are running tests <clears throat> and so be praying for him as well and um, and so with that in mind let me read the text and then I'll take a moment I'll pray for Lloyd as well here in just a moment and we'll pray for our time but Hebrews chapter 8 going verses 1 to 6 and let me go ahead and give you the, the sermon title Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant a better covenant. So that key word, better. So think about that as I read a few verses here. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. Now, I love this with the book of Hebrews. The writer, he's bringing, after all the way through chapter 7, he's bringing us up and saying, okay, 
This is my point. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. They serve on the earth. And they, um, they, they have to give gifts and they do sacrifices here on the earth. So he's saying if Jesus were a part of that order, then he himself would also continue offering up animals and sacrifices and the gifts of this earth. And then back to verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent... That's the, we call that the tabernacle. He was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words today. We need them. As Christians, we need to know more and more and more about our great high priest. And we know we cannot exhaust all that there is to know about the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who is also our priest, our high priest, who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, Father, today, as Christians, we need this. Father, I pray also for those who are here who are not Christians, who do not know personally that the Lord Jesus is the high priest and their sins have not been forgiven and they have no advocate and they have no intercessor and they have no friend who sit who is the friend of sinners who sits at your right hand and so i pray that today they might hear the gospel and look unto christ and be saved father for all of us i pray that you'll just work in our hearts that jesus would increase and that we would decrease that your name would be made great <clears throat> Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work through your word, that we would understand and hear truth and worship you. And Father, I also, just at the very end of my prayer, I, I lift up Lloyd in Australia as he sits in a hospital room after having this, this, this stroke that he's had. I pray, Father, most, most of all that he would Father, look unto Christ, that you would give him great grace <clears throat> at this 
time in his life. That you might even use this. That he might look unto Christ and be saved. Let me pray if you're willing that you would heal his body. Pray for Norma and their family. and Reese and Glenn and Lachlan and all of them there. We pray that you would just work in their lives. That they would know Christ. And uh, even as Trish comes to, only has one more week here, we pray that you would bless her greatly in this past week, two weeks, that you would just give her grace and, uh, and help her in all that she does. And Father, we give you this time today in the Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the title is, Jesus is the High Priest of a Better Covenant. And this is part one, because next week, I hit two truths today, when next week we'll get, we'll get the last one. But when we take the Lord's Supper, we'll take it next week together. And Jesus says, excuse me, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. I think about the word new covenant. And so we're at a part in Hebrews where we're learning quite a bit about what this new covenant is. So that when we take the Lord's Supper and we think, this is my body broken for you and this cup is the new covenant. Cup is the blood of the new covenant, we are able to learn. And I, these sermons, I'll just, as you've known, been, have been very doctrinal. And sometimes, for times, the, the scriptures are very doctrinal, very teaching. That's why, if you remember, the writer of Hebrews says, I'm writing these things to you, they're, they're a bit difficult. Um, and so, he said that <clears throat> earlier on. And so, but we cannot worship God as we ought and know Him as we ought, and then act as we ought unless we deal with, with deeper doctrine. So I know it's, it's some of these things are, are more difficult, and there are, just by the way the text is, a little bit less application than, than when we, we're going to get to the end of the book here in just a couple chapters, and it's going to be application after application, out just commands on how we should act. But for the meantime, let's enjoy this time in this doctrine. And so today's so- sermon... <clears throat> will give us an opportunity to go deep into what it means when Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And chapter 8 is all about the new covenant that we have in Christ. And as we've seen, week after week, we've seen the old covenant culminating with Mosaic law. And he, he even says very, very, very soon here, if you'll look over at verse 13 of chapter 8, He's talking to these Hebrew Christians. He says that has come to an end. Because he says in verse 13, And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And so for weeks now, we've been comparing this new covenant with this picture of Melchizedek, the priest. And so if you're visiting today and you hear me say Melchizedek, we've been talking about Melchizedek for weeks and weeks. I, I've, hopefully you'll still get what's going on today. But we've been talking a lot about Melchizedek. And his priesthood, from Psalm 110 verse 4, was a different kind of priesthood than the priesthood of the Levitical priests. Those who served the tabernacle, those who served the temple, those who served that system under Mosaic law. Now look over at chapter 7 with me. Turn over a page there in your Bible. 7 verses 18 and 19. 
For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, notice this word, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So no less than 14 times we see the words better or more excellent or superior in the book of Hebrews when referring to this new covenant that we have in Christ. Look at chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the old covenant, or as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So with this in mind, today, brothers and sisters, we need this text. We need to know what is better. What is better about this new covenant? So as you sit here as a Christian, what is better than old, the old covenant under Mosaic law? What is better about it? We need to know what is better so we can understand the glories of Christ. We need to, to know what is better about this new covenant so that we can under, understand and know what are the blessings that come our way as we walk out this place and we live out the Christian life. All of these things and all these reasons, we need them. So if you're wondering, why am I sitting here today? Why this text? We need these truths. So with this in mind, I have three truths, three truths from chapter 8 as to why this covenant is better than the old. Let me go ahead and give them to you, and we'll only get to two of them today, but here they are. The new covenant, number one, the new covenant established upon a better place. Okay, that's number one, better place. Number two, the new covenant is established upon a better person. That's point number two, a better place, better person, and then finally, the new covenant is established upon better promises. And I didn't come up with those Ps. You guys know me. I'm not that kind of preacher. I don't do that often, but it just worked out this time. Place, person, promises. So next week will be to the promises. But let's begin. First point, the new covenant is established upon a better place. Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 8. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand, where? The throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister where? In the holy places, in the true tent. Brothers and sisters, the new covenant is better because it is established at the throne of the majesty on high place where God is. It is established here on the holy places. It is established in what he calls the true tent. Brothers and sisters, this refers to a place, a very special place, a place unlike anywhere in the existence of the world, only found in this one place. And this is none other than the sanctuary of God, the place where God himself is dwells. Now, though there are many in the Bible, many examples of this dwelling place, well actually there's not that many, but there are a few, we only get glimpses of this place. 
The most prominent is in the Garden of Eden. Where did, what happened at the Garden of Eden? We always think, oh, it's a beautiful garden. We might think in our imagination, the flowers and the plants and the, and the animals and everything, this beautiful place. But what made that place special? It wasn't the place itself. It was what, really, two things. What happened there, but really, who dwelled there? We, we, we've heard those words, he walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. Who did? God did. So we see that. And before sin came into the world, that place was unhindered by Adam's sin. But when sin entered the world, and Adam and his wife Eve fell, this special garden of God's presence, this temple garden, what happened? It was forbidden. And there, was, there were the angels there guarding the, this, this sanctuary. They were exiled from this place of God's presence, never ever to return again in the same way. Never again. Now, I, I think of a game that we used to play, and I've given this illustration before, but it is so, I, I just think of this often, and I can do this. I usually get, get uh, permission from my kids. Josiah's not here today, so I'm going to pick on him just a little bit, but this past week, he actually picked on me in one of the sermons, if you can believe that. And I'm sitting back there at the back thinking, what in the world is he going to say? He actually used me in an illustration, something about my garden, and made some, some fun at me. So I'm going to do the same thing with him, but it's precious. But I think of a game we played when the kids were young. We used to sit around the kitchen table, and we'd take these cards out. Some of you may have them, and they ask a question. What's your favorite thing to do? What's your favorite thing to eat? Well, this one came out one night, and it said, what is your favorite place on the earth? And I, like I said, I've told this one at least once, maybe more. But Josiah immediately replied, Kids, if you're listening now, think about the most, the, your favorite place. Some of you might resound with this. But Josiah said, what's your, when we said, what's your favorite place? You remember what he said? Mama and Daddy's bed. And I go back to when I was a kid. We, some of us have to be honest and go, yeah, I ended up there sometimes. Some kids end up there way too much, brothers and sisters, than they should. But to kids, they want to be where? In the presence of their mama and their daddy and in the bed there. That's where we spend most of our time because we're sleeping there. And that's where we are. And so that is a safe, secure place. And to, so to a young child, there's no greater, greater place than mama and daddy's bed. But why is it so blessed? Well, it is the place where they are. It is the place of their presence. That's where they find safety and comfort. And they can talk to them and can pray with them, whatever. So the, I think that this picture is just a little bit that the presence of God, this is just a little picture, a tiny little picture. The presence of God is the best place on earth, best place in the universe, we could say. And so when I think of some of these times in the Old Testament when we see the presence of God, can you think of any times? I think of Moses, burning bush. Remember, he saw the bush burning, but it was not consumed. So as he drew near to find out what was going on, God says to him, Do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is what? Holy ground. So that in some way, 
There's the presence of God there, appearing to Moses. Think of Joshua. It's probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Right before they, they went into, they were going to Jericho there, beginning their very first battle when they were going to take the promised land. And he, and so he goes there, and the day before the battle, well, not much of a battle as the, as the, the walls fell, but right before they were going to the promised land, Joshua is there, the out, he's outside the city, and as he is there, I'm, I'm sure praying, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, the Bible tells us. And what, do you remember what this angel was doing? He had a sword in his hand. And so Joshua says to him, probably not knowing, he knew that he was from the Lord, didn't know exactly who he was looking at, but he asked this, this person, this messenger, he says, are you for us? Are you for them? Because <laughs> I imagine he was thinking, if he's on their side, it's over. And you know what this, the angel of the Lord, the Bible tells us, says, this, this one says to, to Joshua, he doesn't say, I'm for you or I'm for them. He says, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I believe this was no ordinary angel, but the Lord Jesus Himself. And what did Joshua do? Because if he would have been an angel, this would not have happened at all. But what did Joshua do? He fell on his face, and he, did, he, did, he wasn't thinking about the battle coming up then. He was thinking, wow, I am in the presence of someone great. And I believe he knew that it was the presence of God Himself. Joshua fell on his face, and then what did this angel of the Lord say, messenger of the Lord? He says to Joshua, Joshua, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And you can read that in Joshua 5. I think of Isaiah in a vision. Who did he see? The Lord. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see clearly, John says, this is the Lord Jesus sitting on his, he saw his day. And so there he is, Isaiah, and he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. And as he sees this vision, the angels, the seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah cried out, what did he say? Woe is me. I can promise you this, if you really by the Spirit, come into the presence of God in, in, in the manner of speaking that I'm using it, and you see the holiness of God and you see yourself, you will say, woe is me. I remember back when I became a Christian. That's what I, that's, that's what I said. And you know what? That's what still goes on today. It is repentance and faith. And when we look at the holiness of God, what we see is our sin. I think of Solomon. Another example, after building this great temple, and he prayed, and he dedicated the temple, and what came down? This glory came down and filled the temple so the priests could not minister. This was the place where God dwelt. Brothers and sisters, when we think about this, especially going back to the Garden of Eden, we have lost that privilege because of sin. Our sins have separated us. So we should never think 
of sin lightly. All of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of these examples that I just gave, they are just pictures. They are just shadows. They are just types. All these places, the presence of God there, are all just a small... We can't even describe the, the vast difference in the presence of God in those places and the presence of God in the throne room. We can't even imagine the difference. But they, they were real, and, they, and God's presence was there. And I, I think of even Josiah was telling me this one church that somehow or another in, their, in all of their lighting and all of their stuff and their, all of the things they have going on in their sanctuary where they meet, they had little drops of things come down and smoke come down and they had people falling all over the place because they said the Shekinah glory came down upon them. Uh, I think this text helps us to know that's... I, I don't want to use... I could use some pretty strong language. That, that, that's just preposterous to me that such would happen and such would, would take place today and that people would say that because of man-made things that come down but all of these examples that we saw they're just pictures of that which is real the actual place where God dwells can you imagine <clears throat> as a child though when we go back to our story about mom and daddy's bed can you can you imagine never being able to go into your parents bedroom ever again no matter how much you begged or how much you wanted to or how much you tried. I think that this is part of the point of the author. The old covenant with its old priesthood is not complete. It does not, nor could it ever take anyone into the presence of God in His fullness. The place where God dwells. And so when we come to this text and we see that these, if you look with me here in, in verse 5, excuse me, in, in chapter 8, um, it says here in verse 3, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Then look over at verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Um, no, I'm focusing here more on verse 3. But they had to offer gifts and sacrifices. So when we think about those Levitical priests, what kind of gifts and what kind of sacrifices did they offer under that system? And then, where did they minister those gifts? Well... If we think about it, they, they did all kinds of things, all kinds of, of, of places and things that, that, I mean, they did all kinds of gifts and sacrifices. And he's saying, Jesus is going to offer gifts and sacrifices as well. We're going to come to that in just a minute. Hmm. Excuse me. But all of those places, when we think about all those examples I just gave, and we talk, think about the priests there, and all of those places. What, what was in common? What do they have in common? They were places of the earth. Look with me over at verse 5. 
Those priests, they served according to a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. And this earthly holy of holies, when you, when you think about those priests, where did they go? They went into the holy of holies. It was an earth, earthly built tabernacle under the time of Moses. It was a temple under the time of Solomon and then later again. But they went into earthly places. The earthly holy of holies. But you know what? That was as far as they could ever go. Under that system, under Mosaic law and its instructions and its requirements, that was as far as they could ever go. They could never take flight, we might say, and ascend any higher than that system under Mosaic law. That system of priests could not take them to heaven, to the very, very best place of all. They could never restore nor fulfill what they had lost in Adam. And we might say they could never get back to mom and daddy's bed. This is why the author of Hebrews was saying to those Hebrew Christians, do not go back to that old covenant. It was good for its time, but you know what? It was merely a copy a shadow of the heavenly things. It can only take you into the earthly holy of holies. It can only offer lambs and goats. It is not sufficient. But brothers and sisters today, who do we have? What kind of place do we have? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 3. Notice what our Lord Jesus, our high priest, does. Hebrews 8, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down where? The right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 1, verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And then chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who what? It's passed where? Through the heavens. Chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters where? Into the inner place. Behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And finally, chapter 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Brothers and sisters, those priests of the old covenant ministered in an earthly tabernacle, an earthly tent. And they could never go where Christ has gone. They could only go into a place built by men. Look at verse 5 again. I was getting ahead of myself a minute ago, but look at verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. God told Moses, 
you come down from the mountain, I want you to build this tabernacle. How? Exactly like I tell you to build it. This was to be a pattern, a blueprint of that which is real. The heavenly place. The earthly holy of holies is merely a copy and a shadow of the things of heaven. But where does Jesus minister? Where does Jesus give his offerings and his gifts, which we'll get to in a minute? He ministers in heaven itself, the true tent, in the place that the Lord set up and not man. So he ministers where? Where the fullness of God dwells. And Jesus teaches this truth in part to Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Here's what he says to Nicodemus. This man comes to him by night and he says, he says a lot of things, but here's what he says in chapter, chapter 3 verse 12. Nicodemus, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, then how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then he says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. That is the Son of Man. Paul says the same thing in, in Ephesians. He says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So brothers and sisters, today as, we, as I bring this truth right here to a close, Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant. The new covenant. Why is that? Because only Jesus can take us to God. Only He can take us there. Only He can restore to us the presence of God that was lost way back in the beginning. And as Christians, the first result of this comes after His ascension. It comes at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is given. And so as Christians, the first result of that work is to give us who? The Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the Spirit, brothers and sisters, we, we're united to Christ. Now, does that mean we'll be united one day? No. We are united to Him now. And where does He sit now? At the right hand of the majesty on high. That is why Paul can say this in Ephesians 2.6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. And then Ephesians 2.6. And He raised us up with Him. And He has seated us with Him now in the heavenly places. So already, by the Spirit, in Christ, we are seated with, as clearly as you are, it's a picture of you seated in these chairs this morning. If you are in Christ today, you are seated in Christ by the Spirit. And this is the good news of what we preach. This is the gospel of Christ. He is the high priest of a better, better covenant because He takes us to a better place. 
Let's move on to number two. The new covenant is established not only upon a better place, but upon a better person. Look at verse three. We won't spend as much time on this one as we did the first, but look at verse three. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. This is where I got ahead of myself a minute ago. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Then look at the second part of verse 4. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So only under the old covenant, the most important, the most crucial, the most significant person was who? Under that old covenant. Who did they look to? The high priest. Started with, with of course, with, with, with Moses, but his brother Aaron in that priesthood. But the entire Mosaic system was dependent upon that high priest to function and to do whatever God required him to do. Whatever God commanded him to do as a mediator, as a priest, as someone who acted on behalf of the people. And in this service, as a high priest and the other priest as well, they offered, they offered up gifts and sacrifices, the text says. We've already seen this back in chapter 5, verse 1. Look back over at 5.1. For every priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to do what? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So here I need to ask a question. What kind of gifts and what kind of sacrifices were offered under that old system? Well, if I, I'm just going to list them for us. Leviticus 1, I'm not going to call out all of them. But these gifts were in the form of burn offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings, Offerings of thanksgiving, if you go read Leviticus, they're all there. And they're all laid out just over and over and over again. And then there were different kinds of sacrifices as well. So there were all these gifts that the priest would come in, and he would do these things there in the Holy Holy, or not in the Holy of Holies, but just generally around the tabernacle and around the temple, and then coming into the Holy of Holies to offer gifts to God. And then they also offered sacrifices. There were burnt offerings. Sin offerings, restitution offerings, and then on the Day of Atonement, do you remember what happened? The high priest would take the blood of, of that, the, the, that, the, the lamb and then also the bull, and he would take that blood and take the, sac that, the, the blood from that sacrificed animal and go into the Holy of Holies and then gift them. Or those were the, the sacrifices there on the, the altar there in the Holy of Holies. And so that's what they were doing. So here I have another question for us. What did all of those gifts and all of those sacrifices of that system have in common? And it goes along with what we're saying in the first truth as well. But all of those foods, the incense that was offered, the birds, the goats, the lambs, the bulls, all of those that were offered, 
All of these gifts and sacrifices were of the earth. Every one of them were of the earth. They were of the order of the Levitical priesthood, which was coming to an end, and which actually came to an end when the veil of the curtain temple was torn in two. But the point here is why must those things come to an end? Because they must give way to that which of all of those gifts and sacrifices pointed to the one who is the fulfillment and the one who completes all of those shadows and copies. Now, one of the best stories in the New Testament is John the Baptist. When he preaches, what did he say? He started preaching, what did he say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is at hand. In all of his preaching, what does he do, though? Who does he speak of? He says, another is coming. Because remember, John the Baptist is right in the middle between the Old Covenant and the New. And he's pointing to the New Covenant. He says, another one is coming. Okay? And do you remember what he says about this other one who was to come? He says, he is worthy. But I am not even worthy to bend down and tie up his sandals. or Strap up his sandals. That's Mark chapter 1. And there... As all these people were coming to him and he was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all these people are coming there in the Jordan River. And as he was baptizing, he looked up and there he saw Jesus as he began his earthly ministry. And you remember what he said? Behold, Connie got it, behold the lamb. Lamb of what? Lamb of who? The lamb of of God. Do you see his person? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Now, look back at chapter 8 with me here in Hebrews, verses 1 and 2. Now, the point in what we are saying is this We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And then in verse 2, he is a minister in the holy places. And as we've already seen, where does he minister? In the true tent that the Lord himself set up, not man. So we've already seen that this tent or this tabernacle is a place. But it's very this is so cool to me and it will be it should be glorious to us. This tent which is also which is a place or this tabernacle, is also a person. Do you remember John, the apostle's words? He said of the one of Jesus looking back, he said the what? The word became what? Flesh. And did what? Tabernacled. Pitched his tent there. Among, lived it's the same word. This tent or this tabernacle is also a person. He dwelt among us. I, I just even last night when Trish when we were watching that movie, we watched this movie called McFarland. Anybody ever seen that movie McFarland? This guy goes off to this border town 
to teach and to coach at this high school, and it's pretty much all Hispanics. And Trish, she said, he went and lived. He became one of them in that town. And that's why they accepted him. That's what Jesus did. He took on flesh, and he dwelt, and he tabernacled. This is the person comes down to us. God took on flesh. Look over at chapter 9 of Hebrews. Verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In these verses here, the author is distinguishing between the holy of holies in the temple and the body of Jesus Christ. And, And you might say, well, why are you pointing this out? But this is so important. Because when you think about the old priests, what did they offer in their gifts and their sacrifices? They offered the blood of bulls and goats. But what did Jesus offer? And this is where the distinction has to be made. They could not do this. They were sinners. But what did Jesus offer? He offered up Himself. His body. Look back with me, if you would, at chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 26. And I ask the question, what kind of offering was Jesus? What kind of offering? Chapter 7, verse 26. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. This is why Jesus can say later on, When he speaks to the Pharisees and the the religious leaders, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, what you ate back in the desert was of the earth. Okay? It was still something earthly. It was a picture. Yes, it did come down from God because God gives us everything. But he's saying, I am the true bread from heaven. That's why... It adds something to our meaning next week. What does Jesus say? This is my body broken for you. What beautiful words we have. Brothers and sisters, Jesus offered himself. He laid down his life as a sacrifice. And consider the most glorious truth that in Him, the Bible tells us, Colossians tells us, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Go back to the place. In Him, in that person, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I think of the virgin birth and the conception there by the Holy Spirit. Go over at chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but what? A body you have prepared for me. 
In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. In other words, God takes no pleasure in those offerings as compared to the offering of Christ. All of those, the blood of bulls and goats and the incest and, all, and even the grain offerings and the bread, all it was all. God takes no pleasure in those things because those things could not accomplish what the Lord Jesus Christ does. A body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, Behold, I have come down to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. If Jesus would have been of that same order, not of Melchizedek, but of the same order as the Levites and those priests, then what would Jesus have done? He also would have offered up the animals that Mosaic law required that they do. But he is of a different order to which Melchizedek points. Now come back to chapter 8 as I try to close this out. Chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is what? Better. So as a church, when we take the Lord's Supper and we say this cup is the new covenant in my blood, we remember these great truths. This covenant does not just merely take us into the Holy of Holies there in an earthly tabernacle. But this new covenant in Christ, who is our high priest, takes us where? To heaven, to where God is. And this covenant does not rely on the gifts and sacrifices of sinful man. It is established on a better person. And who is this person but the Lord of heaven and earth? So as we come to the end of this sermon this morning, let me ask just a couple questions. What do these truths mean for us? Just briefly as we try to close this out. I've just got a, a few applications. First application. Only God can do what it takes to save us. Only God can do it. None of our efforts can ever take us to God, no matter what the world is doing out there, to think that they can do something to get to God on their own way. Whether it's coming to church or whether it's giving of their money, whether it's, it's, it's going to a, a Buddhist temple every week or going out in the woods and worshiping some, someone else and taking them gifts and sacrifices, or whether it's praying towards Mecca five times a day and giving the alms and, 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 and saying the right prayers and doing the right things. All of the world is trying to get to God, but... God Himself must give us the way. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Only, if you think about all the other world's religions, they have their priests. But only one priest offers himself as the actual offering and as the actual gift. And so Jesus says, Father, I do your will. And so he laid down his life. Think about it. So he's saying, I am the gift. I am the sacrifice. And then what does God do? God says, I receive that. 
But not only does he just receive it, but in that death, the punishment and all of the things that the law of Moses writes and all of the, 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 the things that it says that, that if we don't obey it, will happen to us, gets transferred from us to that sacrifice. And so God punishes His Son in our place. And so in that way, nobody born of Adam could ever be this great high priest, but only Jesus. Another application. If we will come to God, we must do everything God's way. Now this just follows the first one. But look at verse 5 of chapter 8. It says, see to it. He's telling Moses there on the mountain. See, see to it you follow my pattern. So here he says, see to it that you follow God's pattern. Well, what does the world do to get to God? Well, all these ways I've just said. But when we think about how does the world worship? The world worships in so many ways. They do take a lot of truths from the Bible, other places that would be true, but then they mix in all of these other things with the way that they worship. The world wants to worship and go its own way. But this is not God's way. And again, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. But this also is not just God's way of coming through Jesus. As a church, we must order ourselves according to God's way. And we get that mostly from the New Testament. The writings of Paul and how we set up elders and deacons, and how we take the Lord's Supper. And it goes even further. Why do we sing the songs that we sing? Well, there, there, there's a lot of people who say, well, if the Bible doesn't tell us anything about it, then we're free to go about our own way of worship and do whatever we want to do, as long as the Bible doesn't prohibit it. But I would say the opposite. I would say that whatever the Bible does say, very clearly, we should stick as closely as we can to those examples and those patterns and those ways of worship. That is one of the reasons that, that all of our songs are brought through the elders, so that we can at least look at them and say, is this according to the Word? Is this according to the pattern that God has given to us? Uh, Josiah and I spent a lot of time talking about songs this past week, because Honestly, some of the songs we were singing were just like, Josiah was like, oh, Daddy, I wish we wouldn't have sung that one. Oh, I wish we... Well, so we got to talking about it, and Sia tells me, he said, you know what, Daddy? One of the things that the old hymns do is they engage your mind about good doctrine each verse as you go through it. So each one, it engages your mind, and you say, wow, what a God I am worshiping today. But if we're just saying I and me and I and me 10,000 times in the song over and over and over again, then it's probably not the best to sing it. But we should sing songs that engage our minds, that see the beauty of the gospel in some way, the beauties of the scriptures in some way, shape, or form. So we also, that's one of the reasons we do this. We're following this in application. Make sure we do things according to this pattern. I could go on and on there with lots of things. Another application. I don't know about you guys, but I just 
just even this morning in my quiet time as I was thinking about Hebrews, we should dwell often in our quiet times. How many of you are, 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 are doing well? Just think about it in your quiet times. Every day. Just a moment. Five minutes. Ten minutes. An hour. Whatever it is. And you're coming with your word and you're sitting down and you're reading. Maybe you've got your Bible plan. Maybe it does. You, you just, you're doing it by just rote habit or you, go, you know it's the right thing to do so you're doing it. But I want to challenge you that when you do that, Try to dwell on the person and work of Christ in some way. If you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, then you can do this. Because with, with all of the, even, even this, this, this morning, I was reading about Josiah, the great, this young boy who became the king of Israel. And if you remember, he's a king for like seven years. And the previous king, I, I think it might have been Manasseh, I'm not sure, but he was very evil. There was, another, there was another one in between. Very evil. And so there had been like 70 years of evil, two kings, evil kings before Josiah. And then all of a sudden, Josiah, who said he's this great king who does what is right and he has a heart for the Lord, and he does, but he sends, he starts to do some work on the temple. And what do they find? They find the book of the law. Like, the Mosaic Law and the scrolls got lost for how many years? And then Josiah, the king, reads with the secretary and with this priest called Hilkiah. And, I just, and as I was reading it this morning, Josiah starts talking to the people and he goes, Oh no, all of these things that the book of the law has written, we have disobeyed and the judgment of God is coming upon us. And God will surely judge. God will surely do immediately what the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. The judgment of God upon, upon His Son on the cross. Because He did fulfill all of the... But even though Christ never sinned and He fulfilled Mosaic law and all law, 100%, He did not deserve it. But we are the ones who have failed it. But yet... God pours out His wrath upon His Son. And so God does punish. He doesn't let us off the hook. But I would just, that's just one little example. But I would say to you, ask the Lord. Lord, show me Christ in this, these words as I read the New Testament. As I especially read the Old Testament. But we should often dwell upon the beauty of Christ. Final application. Our goal in this life really is to worship the one that we preach. Worship. One of our long goals here at Grace, we want to create an environment where worship is 24-7. I hate it when people say, oh, I'm going to watch this or I'm going to say this. But when the, the pastor comes around, we're not going to do that anymore. If you're like that, shame on you. That is so immature. You should be one way at home and you should be one way when you come to church, you should worship one way here and you should worship one way there. We often just think here we are for worship. Here we've gathered for worship. Brothers and sisters in Christ by the Spirit, we are seated where? To think that you're seated in Christ in the heavenly places and you can say, today I'm not going to worship. Today I'm going to go do what I want to do. Can you imagine? These words are good for us.
Because we see that God has established His covenant upon the perfect place, His presence, and the perfect person. And so, hopefully, through these days and through these times, as difficult as some of my preaching is even to now getting up to these applications sometimes, we should worship. And we should leave this place thinking, how can I worship? And how can I do better at that? So, in closing, at the end of the day, this is what Christianity is. I think of Jesus saying to the woman at the well, My Father is seeking true worshipers, those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. But at the end of the day, this is what Christianity is. In the New Covenant, we have a better place. We have a better person. And then next week, we're going to see we have better promises. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words this morning. Even as inadequately as I present them. Oftentimes, but Father, you are good and your word is true. And we stand upon your word. We stand upon the word of Christ, who is the word. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us great grace today to know that this new covenant in the blood of Christ that we remember, and even next week as we take the Lord's Supper, is established upon a better place, which is heaven, not the holy of holies on the earth. A better person, not the earthly tabernacle, but the person of Christ. And that is where we worship, and that is who we worship. We worship you in Jesus' name this morning. I pray that you would help us that we might take something from this sermon, even if it's just one small thing, and that we might go and make disciples of our families, of our neighbors, of our towns and our cities, and even of the nations. And again, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are serving in Kansas City and in Turkey this week and others all over the place, that you would just bless them greatly. Help us as we go. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.